And this morning, I've asked Bruce to speak and continue on in this series. We've been looking at uh, what's known as my dark side. Not just mine, but all of our dark side. As we've been looking at some of the things that lurk below the surface in our license. So I've asked him to come and speak this morning. He is uh, he and his wife, Erin, are expecting their first baby. She was due yesterday, and so if he storms out of here, we'll know why. And then I'll take it from there. So let's invite Bruce to come up and share with us, okay? Good morning, everyone. I am very glad to be here. As Josh said, um, our daughter, our first child, was due yesterday. And um, it's kind of funny, the timing of all this. You know, it's not like I come up here and speak all that often, so we somehow planned this, like, right in the same weekend. But I'm here, and uh, I'm glad to be been preparing. Josh had like a backup message prepared just in case, like, you know, he got a call this morning. But um, before the week is out, I'm expecting to be a father in every sense of the word. So um, for everybody that keeps texting us, we'll let you know. Right? <laughs> so you might have heard from me in different classes or different uh, events around OCC. I do a few other things here. I'm still kind of new at this environment. There's a lot more of you <laughs> right now, and so uh, uh, first service went pretty good, but um, Josh gave me a lot of help with this message, and I got some notes here, so um, we'll have a good time, I'm pretty sure. So, so we've been talking about our dark sides, and uh, I'm sure you've seen our bulletin cover many times now, the hooded figure, and uh, it just really represents you know, those parts of us that we would prefer to keep hidden and prefer to keep in the dark. And uh, you know, church is a setting where we put our best foot forward, and, you know, we don't want people to necessarily know everything about us because we have some past stuff. We have some desires and some things that, you know, we want or different things that we go for. And uh, people here found out, then it would be mortifying. But we're going through this message series to maybe uh, take a closer look at some of those issues and uh, figure out how we can deal with them. When Josh asked me to do one of the messages, uh, I thought I would relate most on a message regarding anger, which may or may not surprise you. I'm not typically described as an angry person, but I definitely have had my moments and uh, something that, of course, I struggle with too. So um, I can remember uh, an instance a few months ago where my anger was aroused. Somebody had made a slight comment about me and uh, like I, I was caught off guard and like a little anger twinged in, within me. And so without thinking, I like shot back with my own fun comment towards that person. <laughs> and uh, two or three comments later, my blood is boiling. I'm sure my face is red, and uh, you know, you know, we're, we're having. The, I'm being very disrespectful to this person. There's a few other people in the room, and so things got a little tense. And uh, thankfully, that other person, I think, noticed what was happening, and that things were going south. And so um, they stopped responding in, in that way. And but for some reason, I was still loading ammunition. I was ready to go. I, I, I was thinking about it later that day, about this whole exchange, and. Uh, I just remember thinking, I have no idea what came over me. I just gave in to my anger, and uh, it, I, you know, I just gave full vent to it. And um, uh, I was thinking over the course of the next day that I would just hope, I was hoping that that would just kind of blow over and just not have to deal with it. But I realized that the way things had gone, it was affecting the way I was relating to that person. And uh, I was trying to avoid conversation and trying to avoid being around them. And so I, I realized I needed to do something, and so I took a gulp of humility, went to that person, apologized. I called it what it was, called it what it was, what I did. And, uh, you know, I, I'm sorry, I just let my anger get away. I was being very respectful for you, and just apologized to that person. I've memorized a verse on this topic that's been very helpful for me. Uh, Proverbs 
says, A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. And uh, you can imagine that God brought that verse to my mind more than once before I got that thing cleared up. Because that's what I did. I just I gave vent to my anger and I didn't keep myself under control. A lot of times we think, you know, this person made me angry, but, you know, it's really we, we choose to be angry or choose, you know, we choose how to respond in anger. But I have a uh, video clip here from the movie Seabiscuit you may be able to identify with. Toby Maguire plays uh, Red, who's a horse jockey, and uh, he's in the middle of a race, and another rider comes up and he cuts him off. And so he gets enraged immediately. He's kind of known in this movie for being like a, a, a hothead. And so he kind of disregards the whole race and just go, is intent on getting back at that other person. And uh, he doesn't even notice yet another rider coming up behind him at the last second and overtakes them both and, and wins the race. But I want you to see his dialogue with his trainer after the race is over. So go ahead and play the clip. Kind of small, isn't he? Gonna look a lot smaller in a second, Georgie. He's got five bucks, says he doesn't. He fouled me. What am I supposed to do? Let him get away with that? Well, yeah. When he's 40 to 1. He almost put me in the rail. Well, did he? Look, we had a plan. He fouled me, Tom. What am I supposed to do? He cut me off. He fouled me. Son. Son. What are you so mad at? I really love that clip, just because I've been there so many times. Just like, he fooled me. <laughs> you know, you just feel that way when somebody ticks you off or whatever. You just, you just want to get back at them. You really see Proverbs 29 come to 11 come to life in this verse because, um, 
you know, he gave full vent to his anger, and uh, it was very foolish. He put his life at stake, the other riders' lives at stake. Of course, he lost the race and a great deal of money. So um, that's what happens. You can maybe think of a time like this in your own life where uh, maybe in an argument with your spouse, you let your anger just fly. I've definitely been there. Um, or maybe a boss or a coworker has stirred up some anger within you, and uh, you're trying to avoid them. You just don't even want to talk to them. Or maybe there's somebody in your family uh, that you're not on speaking terms with for a long time because of some unresolved anger in the relationship somewhere. Why does this happen? Why It happens to all of us, for sure. But why does our anger cause our relationships to become distant and damaged? Oftentimes, the people that we love the most are the most subject to our anger. Like, for me, I'm always surprised, first of all, how quickly my anger can flare up sometimes. And then, you know, why the people that, are, that I love so much are usually the subject to it, the effects of it. So the, the, those people experience the greatest devastation from unrestrained and unresolved anger. So what happens is that anger is our normal reaction to having our goals blocked. When things don't go our way, when we don't get what we want, when someone is, is inconveniencing us, be it a salesperson, a family member, your kid, even your pet, can do this get in your way and just really make you angry the book of james sheds a little light on this verse or on this topic um james chapter 4 verses 1 and 2 what causes fights and quarrels among you i've asked this question of myself many times i'll get into an argument things get all heated and uh, 20 minutes later i don't even know why we're fighting (laughs) james says so he says what causes fights and quarrels among you don't they come from the desires that battle within you you want something, but you don't get it. Sometimes we get so desperate to have our way. We're, in, we're willing to get worked up over it. James says, you kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask. So maybe you've been there. After a long ar- argument, you can't even remember how the thing got started. But simply speaking, you wanted one thing, and the other person wanted something else. And since neither of you are willing to budge on it, here we go. I'm just going to argue about it. Things get heated. But this is a normal part of life, for sure. You can expect that your goals are going to get blocked. It's just going to happen. You just want things, and it doesn't always go our way. For me, sometimes I'll have uh, a long or stressful day at work or something, and uh, I'll begin thinking through how I want the rest of my evening to go, to start planning out, you know, I'm just going to relax this way. And then on the phone, when I'm driving home, I realize that my plan doesn't necessarily line up with everybody else's plan in my house. And so I, you know, I got to figure out what to do. If I remain adamant about what I want, things usually don't go well for everybody. <laughs> it goes pretty poorly. You know, sometimes it's hard to fight off the frustration that I may feel if I, if I realize that things are not going to go my way because, you know, I, sometimes I justify because of my long hard day, I deserve to kick back and relax the way I want to. Or I'll think, you know, if I do get angry or if I get snappy. You know, I can justify it easily by saying, you know, it was a really hard day at work. I have every right to be angry right now, which may sound a little ridiculous, but I've, I've actually had those thoughts before. <laughs> so we have a tendency to justify our anger. In the video clip we saw, uh, Red's goal was to win the race, and uh, his goal was blocked, quite literally. And uh, he lashed out at the other rider when, you know, he said, he fouled me. And this is often the, the, the way that we feel when our goals are blocked or, or just offends us. You may think, but they did to me, or what they said, every right to be angry, or, or even more, you know, 
think I have every right to get back at them. So how can we relate to people? It's probably not going to be enough to simply tell yourself, okay, don't be angry anymore. You can try. But uh, in the book of Ephesians, it says, uh, get rid of all bitterness, all rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. So here we are encouraged to not be angry anymore. The next verse tells us what to replace that anger with. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. So we see that the anecdote to anger is forgiveness, with kindness and compassion. If you've had a, a recent angry outburst already come to mind uh, sometime in the past few minutes, you may hold it in light of this verse and think, sure, easier said than done. You know, it's not that easy just to play it off or whatever. Um, the writer of this book, uh, Paul, when he wrote it, he wasn't coolly slipping at, sipping on a glass of iced tea while he wrote this, you know, you know, all nice and everything. He was actually in captivity. He was imprisoned. Uh, first of all, he was arrested unjustly. And uh, he was shipped to Rome as a prisoner, and he was awaiting trial for a few years. And so you can imagine that, you know, it was very likely that Paul may have had some feelings of, of anger or resentment towards the people that were responsible for him getting imprisoned. And uh, it may have been that he had to go through this in his mind probably many times, just remembering to forgive these people. So, you know, when he's writing this, he, you know, he, I think he probably understood exactly, you know, the tendency that we have. So in this verse, we see that our uh, choice to forgive is belied with a mental attitude of kindness and compassion. If your parents ever forced you to clear up a relationship with one of your friends when you were a, ki- when you were a kid, it probably went something like this. You know, Bobby, say you're sorry to Billy. Billy, say you forgive him. And of course, you know, they forgive or whatever. But, you know, the forgiveness there is probably not motivated by kindness and compassion at that point. It's probably just because they had to do it. But as adults, we, this, this idea makes more sense. You know, if somebody comes to you and says, you know, I am really sorry for that I did that or, you know, that I said that to you. Just their apology usually evokes a certain amount of compassion and, and your forgiveness to them usually flows out of that. But what happens when someone comes to you and uh, there's an offense there, but they <laughs> clearly have no intention of apologizing? And, you know, it's a lot harder to dig up some kindness and compassion at that point, especially if they want you to apologize. So looking at this verse again, uh, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. See, that last phrase forms the real backdrop for our forgiveness of others. You might even underline that part, just as in Christ God forgave you. Through our sin, we have all offended God horrendously. Our standard mode of operation in life is to do things that offend God. We sin regularly, and uh, we're just constantly damaging, you know, we have the tendency to damage that relationship. But um, personally, I am so glad that God has decided to extend his forgiveness to me through his son, Jesus Christ. If Jesus didn't go to the cross and die for my sins, um, I would be utterly exposed to the wrath of God. And... If you think you can get angry, you should look through the Old Testament and just see how people fared that were under, you know, his wrath. There's, you know, a potential, just our sin evokes that within him. But, uh, you know, sometimes we struggle to forgive our close friends or our spouses. And the thing is, in our relationship with God, before, before we, you know, commit our lives to him and surrender our lives to him, 
You know, we're not considered friends, you know, even acquaintances. We're considered enemies. You know, we start out in direct opposition to him. And uh, the amazing thing is that he still looks upon us with kindness and compassion, even though we offend him so much. And, you know, he sent his son to earth for the purpose of giving us a chance to find forgiveness. And then at that point, we can start doing life in cooperation with him. In fact, our forgiveness of other people has a direct relation to the way we experience forgiveness from God. Jesus uh, painted a picture of this idea in a short story in Matthew chapter 18, verses uh, 23 through 35. We can read it together. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. That's the equivalent of about a, a few million dollars in our currency, which the way uh, Jesus used these short stories, he would exaggerate uh, these details to really make it clear, you know, the point that he's trying to make. So we got this guy's owing a few million dollars. But since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. So the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. The master didn't just give an extension on the loan or consolidate with a lower interest rate. He just completely canceled the debt altogether. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and that's the equivalent of a, a few bucks, some pocket change here. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and he had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the, other per- ser- when the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told the master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In his anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all that he owed. And here's a significant part of the story. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Since God, who has been most grievously offended by all of us, has provided complete and total forgiveness, he desires for us to respond in the same way to the people that offend us, regardless of the degree or the frequency of the offense, or how much it evokes us to anger. In this story, it seems you know, almost ridiculous that a man who was just cleared of millions of debt would make such a big deal over just a couple dollars, like, right away. But that's pretty much what we do every time someone offends us and we stay angry at them and, you know, demand, that, you know, try to find a way to get back or demand that they, you know, rectify or whatever. The reality is that, um, you know, God's, you know, uh, you know, the way we offend God is so much greater than, you know, any small offense that, you know, any person can do against us. It may not seem like that at the time, you know, when you're saying, he fooled me. <laughs> but it's true. Like, you know, how much more have we offended God? So through God's example, we can see that there's no offense too great. Just before Jesus told this story, there was a question that prompted the telling of it and uh, from one of the disciples in Matthew 18. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Maybe Peter thought this would be a humorous exaggeration, as if it would be ridiculous to forgive somebody seven times. 
But Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Jesus takes the exaggeration even further, which some translations see it not as 77 times, but as 70 times seven times, which is 490 times total. But you can suffice it to say that you shouldn't plan on ever reaching a need to stop forgiving people is the point here. Even if it's the same person for the same offense. For some people who have a a more reactionary style of anger, where they reach a certain point and just anger comes out in a flash, the act of blowing up at another person may be satisfying enough. And, you know, you may be able to just move yourself on from that situation from there, which is actually... Um, a very familiar pattern for me. Uh, you know, if my fuse runs out, I can explode and make my opinion fiercely known and then just, you know, want the conversation to end after that, as long as I get the last word. And uh, I'll just want to just sweep it under the rug and, you know, not deal with it. This is actually a strategy I use quite frequently in the early years of my marriage, which I don't recommend. But for other people, their anger dives a little bit more internally. They may still actually react, kind of blow up, but sometimes that anger will just remain and stew underneath in the dark side. If this kind of anger goes unresolved, then it turns into bitterness and eventually resentment. That's actually a good way to describe what bitterness is. Unresolved anger turns into bitterness and resentment. So this is the first point under effects of harboring unforgiveness. There's a few key results that you can expect to experience if we hang out to unforgiveness in our hearts. And I'll tell you what, with this bitterness thing, it's a very dangerous place to be. It's not okay to just stay angry with a person. You know, we think we can get along in life and just still hold on to that anger and not deal with it, but it actually comes at a great cost to us, personally, and the people around us. The, the resentment towards that person slowly turns into like a deadly poison that just festers underneath. Job 5.2 says, Resentment kills a fool, and envy slays the simple. The reason it works this way is because that bitterness allows the offense to keep hurting you. Every time you think about that person and think through the way that they offended you, the memory of it just cuts you again and again. Every time you think about it, you just, you just feel hurt by it. You, it just, it's like they did it yesterday. They could have done it years ago, but you think about it, and dang, it hurts again. Um, so that bitterness will grow, and the offense just seems to get deeper. You can imagine it this way. Imagine that your bitterness towards somebody uh, is a little ugly monster that you keep hidden in your closet. You know, you might not necessarily like to talk about it or whatever, but, you know, it's there, and you, and you, you have it in your closet. So when you think about that offense, you take your little monster out of the closet, and you just pet it to make sure it's doing good. There's, like, there's a kind of satisfaction to um, just thinking about the way people have offended you. When you think about it, like, you know, you just feel justified about whatever that you did, and, and you just kind of, there's some way that, you know, we enjoy doing that. So you take care of it and you put it back in your closet. You go through some life and then, you know, you think about that bitterness again. You take the little monster out and you realize that he's gotten a little uglier and a little bit bigger. That offense has grown. The bitterness is still more firmly rooted in your heart. Um, so you, once again, you just take care of him. Just keep, keep that bitterness intact. Just allow it just to stay where it is. You put him back. So what happens is the monster continues to grow, become more ugly, and it becomes harder to contain because that bitterness just affects more parts of your life. And uh, he get, that monster starts looking at you with hungry eyes. The bitterness will consume you. It will consume your thoughts and the way that you deal with people. Take over your life. 
So what you need to do is open the closet door, pull out your shotgun and blow his brains out. (laughs) You can deal with that thing through forgiveness and just put a stop to it altogether. Another effect of harboring unforgiveness in your heart is that it provides the enemy a base of operations. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 says, In your anger, do not sin. So first of all, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not, let the, uh, do not give the devil a foothold through that. So there's a real strong picture here of choosing to let go of your anger quickly. If possible, you don't want that anger to even go into another day. You may take note that you don't necessarily have to uh, clear up the relationship, you know, the second it happens, because sometimes it can't happen. Maybe you're not able to talk to that person right now if you thought of it, or maybe you're not in a position to be able to, you know, have a dialogue. But what you can do is deal with that anger personally and begin working on that forgiveness in your heart. And you want to do that as soon as you can. Uh, That way the bitterness doesn't have a chance to fester. I mean, for me, sometimes the conflict will arise in my marriage, and, you know, if it's late at night which has happened many times, um, you know, i got to figure out what to do. Sometimes we can talk it through and, and get it figured out, but sometimes um, there's a lot to talk through. Maybe the offense was really big, and, you know, late at night where I'm really tired out is not the best time to figure out how to deal with that and just clear it up. So what we can do is um, agree to put the anger, let it subside, and agree to um, just work it out in the morning thoroughly. But the connection drawn by these verses is that um, choosing to hang on to that anger inside and, and you know, letting that continue, it gives uh, the devil a foothold. That unforgiveness pl- provides a place for uh, the devil. He's where he's very familiar with, an area that's uh, familiar territory. And uh, he can use that to his advantage. He encourages the thoughts of bitterness that want to begin in your heart and... Um, may even add exaggeration to the offense, making you just feel rooted and pitted against that person even more. If you keep yourself free from lingering anger, then uh, the devil has nothing to grab onto, at least in this area of your life. But if you allow that unforgiveness to reside, then you can get a hold. A third effect to harboring bitterness within your heart is that we lose sight of God's forgiveness of our own offenses. As I mentioned earlier, God's forgiveness is the backdrop for our own choice to forgive others. We see an encouragement, a similar one in Colossians 3.13. says, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. That's similar to what we looked at earlier. Allowing that unforgiveness to reside in our hearts, it clouds our vision from the very real and very important fact that we've been forgiven a, very, a great many sins. Our perspective can come distorted. What happens is that the significance of God's forgiveness of us becomes a little dull and, and doesn't seem quite as significant as, you know, the great, awful offense that this person did against us. Um, it should be the opposite, actually. Um, the tremendous way that uh, God has uh, displayed his forgiveness towards us and for the many, many and, and grievous things that we've done uh, it should really make these other offenses that other people do to us seem minimal in, in, in light of it. So throughout the course of this message, you may have uh, considered a situation in which you need to forgive someone, perhaps. Maybe you've been unconsciously harboring some bitterness uh, because of someone, something someone has said to you or done. It could have been something recent, something that happened this week or this month, or it could be something from years ago. And many times it, it seems... Uh, 
you know, easy to dismiss whatever it was when you first think about it. You know, you might say, uh, you know, it's no big deal. I should just be able to get over it. Um, but you know what? It's really hard to get over it sometimes. And so you need to figure out how to direct, de- directly deal with it. So on the back of your handout, you'll see um, it says, Beginning the Cycle of Forgiveness. If there's a relationship that you might need to clear up, then this could be a good tool to use for that. First of all, first step is to identify who you're angry with. This may be a no-brainer step if you already got something in mind, but uh, for me, sometimes I feel myself getting frustrated and worked up, and I'm not even sure why. You know, someone may be doing something that's driving me crazy, and I haven't pinpointed it. So, uh, you know, figure out who's got you twisted up. Uh, Secondly, determine how you've been hurt or offended. So what has the person actually done to hurt you or offend you? Was it a one-time offense? You know, is there an ongoing offense happening here? Do they, really, do they do something directly to you, or are they just doing something that's really driving you crazy and just rubbing you the wrong way? You know, so figure out what's going on there. You know, what is the actual hurt? Now, thirdly, decide to forgive them from the heart. This is the hard part. That's um, from the heart. This, you know, this is the idea that we see from Jesus' short story in Matthew. This is where you make the conscious decision to let it go. You know, if you're holding a garage, this is where you shoot it in the head. You can ask God to help you replace your feelings of anger with kindness and compassion. Now, forgiving from the heart doesn't necessarily mean that you uh, immediately feel all peachy about the person. That may or may not come, actually. You know, if the fence is really deep and the, you know, the wound is really deep, then it takes a lot of time for relationships to heal. And sometimes they never fully restore. Happiness in a relationship may be far off, but... You know, your faithfulness to forgive and God's ability to change and work on your heart can bring those positive emotions along eventually. They usually, these emotions usually follow your response to forgive. You know, they rarely precede it. It's uh, usually necessary to commit to forgive, and regardless of how you feel, and not wait until you feel like forgiving. Forgiving from the heart does involve forgiving a person regardless of their response. You know, they may have apologized, or they may think that you need to apologize. Or they may be completely apathetic about the situation, which is, you know, hurtful all in itself. Um, it's true that their response makes our job more or less difficult to forgive, but it in no way releases us from the obligation of doing that if, you know, forgiveness is what we need to do. So if you've made Jesus the boss of your life, then you have a little advantage in this area because you can concentrate on the way that God has forgiven you. As you grow in Christ, you begin to learn more and more about the way, uh, you know, how significant our forgiveness is, you know, that which God has bestowed upon us, and just how badly you need it. Um, It's very humbling to consider the depth of God's love, and it's very motivational to us for forgiving others. And the Bible tells us that God did the harder part. You know, he chose to offer forgiveness right in the midst of our sinning against him. Um, Even though we start out in a path in life that, you know, insults and offends him to a very strong degree and regularly, he still chose to forgive. And, you know, he'll, he'll still choose to forgive when we turn to him, no matter what we've done. And the fourth step, another hard part, is don't reopen the case against them. This is to decide to dismiss it when it comes to mind. As you, uh, and you can actually count on it coming back to mind. <laughs> these, these memories have a way of lingering and coming back to memory. 
And the enemy is poised and ready to capitalize on any lapse in your forgiveness and encourage that dark side with you. You know, sometimes it doesn't matter how long that bitterness will take root if you give it a chance. And secondly, uh, the mem- when the memories do come, what you want to do is just remind yourself that you've already forgiven them. And this may be, have to be done and repeated a number of times. Depending on the freshness or the depth of the offense, you may have to remind yourself that of this daily or weekly. Uh, different circumstances might trigger your memories, and you might find yourself having this struggle, but you know, that's a normal part of the process. Just keep steady. Uh, but at this point, go ahead and take out your connection cards. And uh, the band is going to come up right now. And in the moment, the ushers will receive the offering. If you can all put that connection card in the basket when it comes around, that'd be great. But before you do, on the back of it, there's a few next steps you may consider taking in response to this message. First of all, you may want to memorize Proverbs 29.11, how do you gain control of your anger? A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. For me, scripture memory has been an incredibly helpful tool and it's just been a great strategy as far as maturing in Christ and putting off old habits of sin. And God has used this verse in my life many times to help refocus me when I start moving and responding angrily. Another next step you may consider is uh, to search my heart for any unforgiveness I may be harboring. You may have resonated with the message today, but maybe you haven't determined whether or not you're hanging on to anything that you need to release. Um, so you may take some time today or even just as the next uh, song plays just to really think through that and ask God to bring to mind an area that you may need to let go and lastly if you are offended maybe this week you'll commit to beginning the cycle of forgiveness you know maybe you already have a clear picture of what you need to do a name may have come to mind or a particular hurt or offense and you know you've got to work it out in your heart you can use that process So ushers, come on forward, and um, you can receive the offering. As they come around, place the uh, cards in the baskets along with any other offerings you've come prepared to give. The work of this church is supported by the regular giving of our church family, those who call us to see their home. So if you're new here, if you're a guest, don't feel obligated to give. Um, You know, this is for members and regular attenders. For those that have decided to follow God, giving back to Him is something that He asks us to do. It's a way that we can worship God, actually. It takes a certain level of faith to give financially. As I've done this, you know, my wife and I have committed to do this. Um, it's been scary at times, you know, as God asks us to give, you know, more and just be stretched in that area. But I really have seen a lot of blessing come from that. And um, as I develop the habit of giving, I feel a release from the grip of money. I've spent a lot of time stressed out about how to accumulate as much, you know, as much as I can and how to figure out how to hold on to what I can. But active giving has really helped me trust more in God and not on my resources. But for those of you that do give regularly, we thank you so much for your faithfulness. And uh, Cody's going to finish the service with some more worship.